Today is, sadly, the last day that we're going through 1 Peter. I know. Uh, I love this book, and it's been challenging, it's been encouraging, uh, it speaks to us where we're at, uh, but sadly, today is the last day uh, that we're going to, so we're going to conclude with 1 Peter. And here's what Peter does for us this morning. You know, most of us would expect... Um, a dad or someone who's writing to us a letter to be all um, gushy, you know, emotionally, and to be like, you guys, you know, I love you so much. I mean, he does say I love you in, in, in other words, but Peter, he, he kind of just doesn't let off the gas all the way to the end. And it feels like, I don't know about for you, but for me, going through this book together, it feels like it's just one like encouragement after another, and one challenge after another. It's like, okay, we get to the next week and we're like, surely Peter is going to like just kind of like give us a moment to catch our breath, right? He doesn't do that. He just is like, no, and then this, and then this, and then don't forget about this. And you would think that at the end of his book, to encourage the believers, he'd be like, listen, guys, just I know it's been tough, so why don't you just get your lazy boys out, and get a bowl of chips and your favorite drink, put up the recliner, and just chill out for a moment. <laughs> yeah, now we're talking, right? But Peter doesn't do that. He actually just ends with, boom, and another challenge. Uh, I just recently watched a movie with some friends, and um, I'll try not to give it away. How can I do this? There's this family whose, their whole world has changed. They're in a very... Uh, dangerous position. And they have to live and adjust their lives a certain way in order to survive. And there's a scene in the movie where the oldest, where the father takes the oldest son and he says, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to teach you something because uh, if, because of the peril that we live in, I may not be around for you to know how to, this, to learn this skill. And so he, te- he takes this boy out and the boy is terrified because of the danger that is outside of the, the home area where they live. And it's so out of the boy's comfort zone. And that's kind of what Peter's doing with us at the end of this book here this morning. He's saying, listen, I know this is out of your comfort zone. I know that we live in a, in a, in a world that is perilous. And I've said to you over and over that you are sojourners, that you're exiles, that you are not of this world. Remember, our home is not planet Earth. Ultimately, our home is heaven. And so Peter doesn't leave us with this gushy, you know, love kind of just like, okay, relax on the lazy boy. And he says, no, follow me. You live in a world of peril. I'm going to teach you how to survive as somebody who's living in a world that is perilous, living in a world that's full of danger. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 5 all the way to the end. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, it'll be up on the screen. This is the ESV version. Peter says in verse 5, chapter 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elder. Who, who here is younger this morning? Who here wants to be younger? Anybody want to be younger? Okay. Only about third of you want to be younger? All right. Some mature people in here this morning. Uh, you were, it says, sorry, uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We know that today, right? Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, she is referring to the church. Babylon is code for Rome, just so you know. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for your servant Peter, who speaks it like it is and um, encourages us. And like a good dad, calls us to a life that demands an explanation and calls us to follow him just as you followed Christ. And wherever we are this morning, God, we, we, we want to say, Lord, will you work in our hearts? I thank you that even as we were singing to you, God, you're here with us. But even now as we sit under your word, you're here with us. Your presence is here and it's changing us and making us more like Jesus. And so won't you do that this morning through the word? Will you transform us? Will you take the areas of our hearts where we have <clears throat> surrendered over to the enemy, over to comfort, or whatever it is. And will you do work in us this morning, God? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Every good preacher gives us three points, right? So we're just going to go through three points this morning. And as we go through these three points, what my challenge to you this morning is, I, I often say this, is to turn off your inner lawyer Sometimes when we hear things that kind of affront us or um, kind of challenge us, what we want, want to do is go, no, that's not for me, and our heart objects to that truth. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit with this morning, will you allow God to fire your inner lawyer and do work in you, whatever needs to be worked, okay? So I think Peter gives us three kind of exhortations as he ends this letter to us. And um, if, we, if we were like this big understanding at the end, it's kind of like what he's saying is, listen, you are in a war. It's not lazy boy time. It's not kick your feet up time. This life of being an exile and a soldier, you are living in a land of peril. You are living in a land that requires you to have weapons, okay? And so what Peter's going to do this morning, if, if we all had guns, like an old school revolver. Uh, I know this is California, so that sounds offensive, all right? I'm still, my Texasness is still coming out of me. 
If I was in Texas right now, everybody would go, yeah, and, point, and actually pull their gun out and, and probably shoot it, you know? Um, that might, may be an exaggeration. They'd all want to do that. But um, if, if we were to all have old-fashioned revolvers, um, what Peter's doing is he's giving us three bullets to put in our chambers this morning, okay? So bullet number one, you ready for this one? Is humble yourself. Ooh. See, here's the problem with pride. Pride is probably, I was, I was having this conversation with Marianne the other day, and the kids were sitting around, and I said, would you say that pride is probably our biggest enemy that we face from self? See, I think that as believers, the root, I mean, I know the Bible talks about the root of all evil is money, Right? But I think the root of all that evil in the money is pride. It's the desires for, to be puffed up. And I don't know about you, but I often, every time that I struggle with sin, I often link it back to the root of pride. Because I want to be liked. I want to look a certain way. I want this. I want that. And, and what happens is I start believing this lie that somehow the things I want and the things I desire are good and godly because it's about me. But Peter doesn't give us the option to believe that way. What he says is that he calls us to humble ourselves. Now, he does it in two ways. Look at verse 5. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility, what? Toward one another. So here's how we practically live out this this bullet in the chamber, shoot it at our pride, right? He says, one, we humble ourselves toward others. Now, often we think, you know, I'm too good for that. I'm too busy for that. I don't need that. You know, so, someone says, hey, I need some help, you know, moving in our house. It's like, ah, that's kind of beneath me, you know? I need some help pulling weeds or whatever, we need, we need help with the building, I don't know, whatever it is, and we exalt ourselves over others, right? Because why? Because we're the top dog. Comfort is king. But Peter says, if you're going to walk through this life, if you're going to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, he says you need to humble yourself and he, we do it toward others. So what does that mean? That we think of others first. What about when you're driving in the car and somebody cuts you off? What about when so-and-so goes through the buffet line twice and you haven't gone once? What, I mean, what if? All these what ifs. You think of yourself first. Here's what it says in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but what? But also to the interests of others. Now, we've all heard this before, and we all believe this, but it's easier said than done, right? Why? Because that evil, it's like um, the Hulk comes out of us. You won't like me when I'm angry, Right? And then he starts transforming, turns into this big, giant, green monster. You won't like me when I'm self-satisfying myself. I'm just full of pride. 
The monster comes out. What's the other way that we're called to humble ourselves? It's toward God. He says this in verse 6. Humble yourselves, what? Under the mighty hand of God. Um, one of my best friends, Brian Barr, he, he tells a story about his dad getting in his face when he was a kid, getting all prideful. He says, Brian, you're full of pride right now. And his dad says, if you do God's job of exalting you, God will do your job of humbling you. Ooh. Anybody here want God to humble you? <laughs> no one raises their hand for that. And the Bible says that what? God opposes the proud. Anyone here want God to oppose you? None of us raise our hand for that. But we somehow, in our mind, live our lives for the benefit of ourselves, which is rooted in pride. And then we get into circumstances where we feel like God's opposing us, but surely he couldn't be doing that because God just kind of turns a blind eye to everything, right? No. Peter says that we're called to humble ourselves. And we're called to do our job of humbling ourselves and let God do his job of exalting us. And too often we get it mixed up the other way, right? Because we're so worried that God will forget to exalt us, so we try to exalt ourselves. Here, here's, here's, let me just, can you guys give me some freedom this morning in this next point? Because often what we do is what we, we, we get overly politically correct when it comes to this next thing. And I just want to, well, let me just say this. Let's look at verse 7. Peter says this. He says, casting all your anxieties on him. Now, here's what I want to talk about in here. In the Greek, he doesn't stop the sentence here from talking about humbling yourself and casting anxiety on God. Now, I know that in this room, there's some of us who struggle with anxiety, and it may be physiologically like a struggle. And so I'm not trying to be insensitive. If, if that is something that you struggle with and, and you're on medication for that, and it's something that a doctor has physiologically uh, um, recognized in your system. But even in that physiological things, there is something of this belief and an emotion that is attached to anxiety. And my argument for us this morning is that I think that because Peter calls out anxiety, he he calls it as a root of pride. Why? Because when we're anxious for things, it's the fact that we're not putting our hope and we're not putting our trust in God. It's the fact that what we're doing is we're saying, I can be in control. I can make this happen. And then we start to realize that we can't do it. And what happens? Anxiety rises up within our hearts. I've, I've suffered one panic attack in my life. You know when it was? It was right before we moved here. Let me just tell you the story. We were, we were coming out knowing that we were moving back to Southern California. God had called us back to Lee Chino. And Marianne and I were, we were doing um, like a little Bible class called Porterbrook over at Brea. 
And I, I felt this huge pressure on myself to perform because I knew some of the elders would be there from, from Southlands. I knew that there'd be other leaders in the room. And I, I, I came in and just feeling like, oh my gosh, if I don't do this right, they're going to look at me and go, what the heck? How can this guy even lead Southlands Chino, right? And I, I, by God's grace, and I think it is God's grace, I feel like I bombed really bad. <laughs> just on the front end, Marianne says. <laughs> we were staying at a friend's house, and that very, it was a Friday night, I got into bed, and all these what ifs, all these you are worthless, all these who do you think you are thoughts started running through my mind. And I was laying there and laying there, and I was trying to be like, Mm-mm, no, 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 you know, all these worst case scenarios are going in my head. And it got so bad to the, to the point where I thought I was having a heart attack. And, I, and someone told me, that's a panic attack. And I, I started to feel like I was shaking in the bed. And, it was, and it, then by God's grace, it dawned on me, you know what? This is probably an attack from the enemy. And you are not putting your hope in Jesus. So what did I do? Start reciting Psalm 23 to calm my soul. And I started singing. And immediately, I felt this peace come upon me. Why was I having this anxiety attack? Why was I having this panic attack? It's because I had shifted my hope from the one who provides hope, the only one who can actually sustain hope in me, and I had shifted it to my own abilities. I had taken the hope that I should have placed on God alone to do what he had called me to, and I put it on myself and said, look how bad you bombed. There's no way you will ever be able to like, lead a church. Who do you think you are? And panic started to come into my heart. And it may not be that severe for some of us this morning, but we do have times of anxiety. And it's because we're not putting our hope and our trust in the one who is trustworthy. We put it on ourselves. And it's a form of pride because we think we got this. I can do this. I got what it takes. I'm just going to push through a little harder. I'm just going to make this thing happen. And when it doesn't, our world comes crashing down because the realization is that we don't have the goods what it takes. But who does? Our Heavenly Father. And if God has called you to something, we can put our hope and trust in Him. So if you're wrestling with anxiety this morning, I'm not trying to be glib. I'm not trying to be like, oh, just, just do this and everything will be perfect. But what I am saying is, resist the enemy and your own pride and humble yourself and put your hope and put your faith in the one who's trustworthy. I love this that in verse 7 here, it says he cares for you. And the Greek word for anxiety, let me, where did I write? Now, no one, none of us know what this Greek word is. It's merimena. <laughs> Does that sound right? Everybody go, yeah. Merimena, right? That means to care with deep, like with deep caring. It's, to, it's the Greek word that uses, uh, Peter uses for anxiety. But then what I love in verse 7 is that it says that God cares for us. And so what, what's happening here is that God, our care for a situation, God's greatness is overcoming in his care over our anxiety. Now here's the question, who's going to win? Which care is going to win? Your care, your fear about this situation, or God's care 
or God's love for you? Who's greater? God. No matter how much you know that you, I mean, if you're going, you're going through an intense time of school and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to ever complete this? There's no way that my boss is like getting on my, my case. There's no way I can fulfill all the things that I need to do. You have these legitimate cares. God's care for you outweighs your anxiety. And our call is to put our hope and to put our trust, not in our pride, not in our own ability, but in, our, in his care. That's bullet number one. Bullet number two is that we're called to resist the enemy. He says this in verses eight through nine. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You guys, the reality is, we are in a war. You know, if you were in a boxing ring and you got all the regalia on, your guys in the, in the dressing room pumping you up, right? They're taping you up, you got everything, and you walk out there and all of a sudden, you, it's like MGM Grand. You ever watch like a boxing ring? I mean, there's lights, there's like a huge show, it's like crazy. You walk out into the ring and if, what would happen if you're just like, and all of a sudden, the bell rings, Mike Tyson comes out, ding, ding, boom. All it's going to take is one swift punch or maybe a bite to the ear. I don't know. <laughs> and you are down. <clears throat> the reality is, as Christians, we're always in a war. Always. It's kind of a, a bummer to think about it, but we're always, always in a war. You know, the devil and the enemy never goes, you know what? I've picked on Marianne quite enough this week. I'm going to, like, <laughs> out of my kindness, because I'm such a good guy, I'm just going to give her a break. Do you think the enemy ever does that? Never. Never. He's always looking for an opportunity to attack us. So why do we, as believers, walk around kind of like, Oh, look at the shiny lights. And we got gloves on, but we're so enamored with our silk shorts. Look at how they reflect. <laughs> got Italian stallion on the back. <laughs> and all Mike Tyson says this, everybody's got a plan until they, got hit in the, until they get hit in the mouth. That's wise words. We all kind of walk around like we got this, we're, we're together, we're so oblivious of the attacks of the enemy, and then we get punched in the mouth, and we're like, what just happened? And Peter says, be aware of the attacks of the enemy. He's like a prowling lion. You ever watch National Geographic or, uh, you know, these, these, uh, these, these animal shows, Animal Planet, whatever? Who do the lions, who do the leopards, who do the... the, the, the the, the predators go after. They go after that one stupid gazelle. <laughs> Here's the crowd, and then they go like this. I'll just put my head down for a moment, because this grass seems a lot greener over here. This grass seems a lot tastier than that browner grass where everybody's grazing together. And what happens? 
right? No, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and we just get unaware, and we go, well, my life seems pretty, there's not a bunch of bad stuff happening. I'm feasting on this nice green, lush grass. And we get taken out by the enemy because we're unaware. You know, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. The number one plan of the enemy in Christian community is to isolate us. See, because the enemy comes and he speaks lies to us and he says, you're too much of a sinner to hang out with these people. You don't fit in with this crowd. You never will. You're too different. Look at, you'll never be like so-and-so and so. They read their Bible every day. Have you noticed when they worship, they're really passionate? You're not like that. You should just kind of reserve yourself back. You should just take a step back from that. And it's the, it's the lie of the enemy. And he comes in and he whispers. And what do we do? We agree with him. See, Peter says, stand firm. You know what standing firm against the enemy is? When he says, you're different. Exclude yourself. We stand firm and we go, no! I don't believe it. Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all the same under Christ. I have the blood of Jesus that's redeemed me. Yes, I've had a bad week, but I can walk boldly into the presence of God because when the Father looks at me, he sees Christ. <laughs> and what we do is we end up believing the lies of the enemy and we isolate ourselves. And the devil comes and he sneaks up on us. Hey, what's happened to so-and-so? I don't know. They were having a tough time. I think they're mad with somebody or they're, you know, they've just kind of felt disconnected. I heard them say things like, yeah, I don't really fit in. Man. And Ryan's encouragement to us last week is, hey, where's your buddy? Remember when you were a kid and you went on a field trip? All right, who's got your buddy? Is your buddy with you? Why? So nobody gets left behind. We're, on a, we're in a war. Stop agreeing with the enemy. Don't believe his lies. Number three, we'll end with this. Remind yourself of your future. Peter says in verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, yep, we've talked about suffering, but after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We have to remind ourselves of the imperishable, incorruptible, living hope that we have and the future that God has set aside for us. Peter does say, yeah, after you've suffered a little while. What is he talking about there? He's talking about, hey, you're a sojourner. You're in exile. You're different than the world, and you're going to have persecution. You're going to have things that mark you as different, and people will, ha, 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 look how weird you are. All those kind of things will suffer those things, but Peter calls them what? A little while. What's this little while? It's just this brief moment in eternity. It's called physical life while we're on earth. I've heard somebody say that life is just a burp in eternity. 
Just, er, there was it. <laughs> but what we do is we look at that little, er, and we go, oh, it's so long. And in the light of eternity, such a little while. And Peter gives us this right perspective of eternity. He says, hang in there. Hold on. Don't let go. Put your hope. And, and I love how he says this. He says, Cry, uh, God will re- himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Restore to make all things new. This decrepit body, this body, the, the flesh that wants to sin, that is, is sometimes prone to giving give in to anxiety and believing the lies of the enemy or comfort and wanting to put up the lazy boy, whatever it is, all of that thing will be restored and be perfected. Will be confirmed all our doubts and all our fears will be erased. You know, you ever struggle with, like, does God love me? Am I good enough? Does, do I fit in? I've had a hardship. All of that junk will be erased. We'll be strengthened. All our weakness of sin and our suffering, it's going to be replaced with perfected strength. Hallelujah. I'm so looking forward to that. And we'll be established all of what was lost through our persecution, through our suffering, through the fall, through sin, will be completely held together by the one, the only one who is worthy, the only one who is strong enough, the only one who that when we cast our anxieties on him, cares for us. And so Peter tells us this morning, he says, hey, you're just going to suffer for a little while. If you're alive in the flesh, you'll experience it. But guess what? Don't give up hope. Don't forget the future that you have. Remember this as you live out your sojourning life. Remember this as you walk as an exile. You have a hope that is imperishable, that is eternal, and no one and nobody and no thing can take it from you. That's good news. You guys stand with me.